Well, I ruined another shirt at nine, so I'm wearing this T-shirt. Um, but I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be back. Uh, it's always good to get back after a couple of weeks of not preaching, and so excited to be here. I, I know uh, Dallas and Joey, uh, they did a great job, and, and I know I was challenged by the things that they had to say, and, uh, and in a good way, and so I hope you were too. Um, we're still in the series, Broken. Uh, we're looking at how we're all broken people. Sin has broken um, this world. It's broken our lives. Each one of us have our own areas of brokenness uh, due to that. But we're looking at how God uses broken people. And before he uses broken people, he begins to heal us. He begins to make us whole. And so he begins to work in our lives. Um, as we come to faith in Christ, we are made new and he begins to uh, grow us into the person that he's already made us by faith. And so that's what this series is all about. Today we're going to be looking uh, first at a man by the name of Saul who uh, was the first king of Israel. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is where we're going to begin. If you find the book of Joshua and Judges and there's a little book Ruth there, you'll come to 1 Samuel uh, in the Old Testament. And so um, we'll set that up in just a second. I'll give you a second to find that. I want to make a quick announcement that it's not an announcement that I really want to make, but it is um, something that we've come to uh, determine is something we've got to do. Um, in our kids' area, it takes quite a few people to be able to do what we feel God's called us to do in there. Uh, three things that we always try to strive for in that area is that it's safe, um, number one, uh, that it's fun, that the kids can have a good time, and then that it's biblical, that they are hearing about Jesus and his love for us and what, uh, who they're called to be and who he's made them as they come to faith in them or in him. And so it takes a lot of people to do that. Uh, over the years, we have uh, struggled at different times to have enough people to be able to do the things that we feel God has called us to do, um, doing those three things. Uh, we've gotten to a point where we are consistently using the same people, the same people are volunteering and serving time and time again. Um, and so starting on May 6th, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. What we're going to do is the best that we can with the volunteers that we have. Um, and so May 6th, you may get here and we're going to offer, and hopefully it never comes to this, but we're going to offer as many age groups as we can that we can make safe, fun, and biblical. Uh, but if that age group is not offered, we're going to ask that you bring them with you in here. Again, not what we want to do, but it's something that um, has become necessary. It's not right for the same people, for their own health, their own spiritual growth and health for them to do week in and week out. And so we're going to look at doing that. Um, this is not a plea for volunteers. We've done that in the past. This is not to say, hey, you, you should do this. It's not a guilt trip to try to manipulate you to do this. If it's in your heart to serve with the kids, then serve. If it's not, look, it would be worse for them and worse for you, right, if that's not your heart. So if you're compelled by love, if you want to go and serve, then please do that. But don't use this as a plea to get more people. Um, we love the kids. We are honored to be able to serve them, um, to be able to love on them 
and we want the best for them. We feel like that is the best environment to meet them on their level and teach them about God. So we're going to do the best we can uh, to keep that going. Um, so on that positive note, let's talk about the good news now. Um, First Samuel, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that's happening with each of these people we're talking about from the Bible each week. Um, First Samuel is uh, a book that um, begins with a man by the name of Eli. He was the priest. He was the leader of Israel, which was, is God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. It's the people that God chose to reestablish a relationship with and, and who eventually uh, Jesus comes um, from this nation of Israel. And so we see that God is working in them. He's working through them. He's trying to show them consistently who he is. And this priest Eli was the one who was leading them. Well, Eli had two sons who were not good people. They didn't follow the ways of the Lord. And so eventually God raises up Samuel to be the leader of Israel. God does great things through Samuel. Samuel is faithful to do the things that God has called him to do, the things that God speaks to him to do. He leads Israel well. Um, they always have this nemesis uh, called the Philistines, another nation that was always fighting with them. Um, and Samuel helps them to be secure uh, from uh, this nation as they listen to Samuel, and Samuel as a prophet is speaking God's word to them. When they listen to God's word and they are faithful to do what God tells them to do, then they are delivered, right? Um, but they get to this place where Samuel gets old, his sons are no longer following what God wants them to do, and so they begin to become fearful of what's going to happen. They look around them, and every nation around them has a king. And so they decide the best thing for us is that we have a king like them. And what you see throughout the history of Israel, and especially in 1 Samuel, is that a lot of what Israel does is driven out of fear. Okay, you're going to see the same thing with Saul, that a lot of what he does is driven out of fear. And the thing I want you to see today is that when we are not trusting in God, we become faithless, which is faith is trusting in who he is and his promises. It determines some things in our life. When we become faithful, where we are full of faith, what begins to happen is it also begins to change our life. And so we're going to look at that today. I want to read 1 Samuel 13. Um, this is where Saul uh, has become king. Saul has done some really good things. He's, it, it's not a lack of ability on Saul's part, as we're going to see. He, he does some good things. They, again, say we want him as king, and Samuel steps aside. He's still prophet. He's still telling them the right way to go throughout 1 Samuel. He's still sort of the conscience of the nation as God speaks to them through him, but there's a transition where the nation is now being led by, Sam, by Saul. And so 1 Samuel 13, verse 1, says this. It says, Saul was 30 years old when he became king. And he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash on the hill, in the hill country of Bethel. And 
A thousand were with Jonathan at Gabeah. Jonathan is Saul's son. You're going to see him take action, and he's a great leader, as you'll see in just a moment. He was with them at Gabeah in Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines shared or heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, and with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bethavim. When the Israelites saw that there's this, and this is, this is important, when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message. God, thank you so much for letting us be here, that you are, God, our living hope, that you do call us to yourself, that you've made a way for us to come to yourself, that to you, God, that we can, we can know you. We can not, not just exist, but we can have life through you, God. And I, I pray that we would see that today, God. I pray that we would see you in our relationship with you, not as something else to do, but as someone to know. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself more clearly to us. You would reveal us to ourselves. And God, that you would compel us by the great love you've shown us to go into the world and to share the love you've given us, Lord. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done. God, all that uh, you do and all that you're going to do, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have ever heard someone when they were doing something, they were kind of constantly being corrected um, about something. Maybe it was your wife, maybe it was your husband, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was whoever. But they constantly were maybe being corrected, maybe they were correcting you, and you've heard somebody say this once they get frustrated with that, that, that nagging or that behavior that they're doing, they just go, this is just who I am, right? Anybody ever heard somebody say that? So y'all, how many of you have said it yourself, right? I've said it. Y'all, like you got alligator hands. You don't want to raise them too high, but, but, but I've said it. This is just who I am, right? And, and, and the point of that is this. We understand in, in, in life that who we are very much drives what we do, right? So we look at it and go, this is my behavior because this is who I am. What we're going to see in this is the difference in how we live faithless and how we live faithful is what determines what we do. I, I think maybe today we'll see this a little differently, I hope, than maybe what we've seen in the past about what it means to be faithful. Um, as we look at the scripture and we, we look at Saul, and I told you that his life, his reign, um, his... his uh, his death even is driven by fear. It's driven by this, this constant fear of what's going to happen. It's driven by um, this faithlessness that causes him to act um, out of emotion 
very often. And so as we look at this, we see where this situation with Israel is getting critical. We see where uh, the people now are panicking because Jonathan has attacked the Philistines. He's attacked them, and, 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 and so they're, they're, they're about to come and attack Israel. They're, they're panicking. They're running. They're hiding. They're, they're doing anything they can. They've even crossed the Jordan uh, going back um, across the river to try to get away from the Philistines to try to save their life. And I want you to listen to the next few verses here. In verse 7, it says that some of the Hebrews had crossed, that's the Jewish people, had crossed the Jordan. He says, it says, though, that Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. There's the fear again. He waited seven days. So Saul's waiting seven days, the time set by Samuel. Samuel has told him, in seven days, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to make this sacrifice before you go to war. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out, to, went out to greet him. And listen to what Samuel says. He says, what have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Verse 13, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord God, your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. He's referring to King David who would come next and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I want you to see in this that as Saul was about to go into battle, one of the things that they did in Israel is God had established a sacrificial system. As Saul is about to go into battle, he wants to make this sacrifice. He's waiting on Samuel to come to make this sacrifice to seek the Lord's favor. Now, the issue, the biggest issue is not that Saul makes the sacrifice. The biggest issue is that Saul does not trust in God's word that was given to him through Samuel. And so he goes against what God has asked him to do. And so what we start to see coming out of Saul's life, even though he's done some good things, we start to see actions that are coming out of faithlessness rather than a place of faithfulness, right? Full, F-U-L, comes out of full, F-U-L-L, right? So he's not driven by being full of faith and trusting in God's word and trusting in his promises that he's given him. He's driven by emotion and he's driven by fear and he's driven by this feeling of self-preservation and I've got to do something. And so his faithlessness is leading him to an emotional response that goes against what God has asked him to do. Now he gets there and it says that he felt compelled. 
He's compelled by this fear. He's compelled by this lack of trust in what God has told him he will do. And we see that this faithlessness is really um, something that drives our way of life. We begin to get into a place of self-preservation because we feel like if I don't do this, God's not going to do it either. And so much of our understanding of God is driven by this sense that it's nice that God cares, but I've got to make all this happen myself. And rather than living in a place of peace, in a place of trust in God and what he's going to do, we spend our life striving and straining, driven by emotion, driven by the things around us and what we are fearful of rather than trusting in the promises of God. We continue to strive and strain and work and and even in our salvation and, and our relationship with God, our focus is still so much on what I do rather than who I'm becoming. But as we talked about at the very beginning, who I am, even how I see me will drive the things that I do. And so it comes down to this, that Saul, his biggest issue was not his ability. He defeated a lot of enemies. The issue was not his ability. The issue was he never came to a place where he could trust in God's word. He was faithless when it came to God's promises. Listen again to this verse 11. Samuel says, what have you done? Saul's excuse is this. When I saw the men were scattering and you did not come and that the Philistines were assembling. Look, he saw, right? Faithlessness is a way of seeing when we're not trusting in God's promises. It's a way that we see the circumstances begin to mount around us. Things begin to press against us. And we begin to look at those things forgetting what God has promised. We begin to look at those things of my job or my family or whatever it might be. And we go into that self-preservation of where it doesn't matter so much about what God says. I've got to do whatever I've got to do to preserve myself and it leads us to a place of selfish living if faithlessness affects how we see so I see the things around me the things around me begin to determine my behavior so listen the things I see toss me to and fro and so that every circumstance that comes dictates what I do I'm not led by God trusting in his word and his promises. My doing comes out of a place of fear. So in my relationship with God, I'm not living in a place where I'm consistently receiving his love. I'm living in a place where I'm consistently trying to earn his love. I'm not being made or realizing I've already been made right with God. I'm consistently trying to make myself right with God. It's a way of seeing. It's a way of 
Seeing life and circumstances and things that come up when circumstances mount, the first thing we do is go to, what do I need to do to fix this? If you go on, he sees these things, and then it says this in verse 12, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me. See, faithlessness is not just causes us to live a certain way or do certain things or behave a certain way. It's not just a way of seeing, it's a way of thinking. So that the circumstances in my life, the people in my life, the things of this world tend to want to conform me into what it looks like. So that people's opinions, my experience, all of these things begin to define my life, whether I'm successful, whether I I win, uh, whether people look at me and think that I'm a good person, whether I fit in, all of these things that we even carry into adulthood, all of these things so often are driven by the way we think in our mind. We don't think according to God's promises and truth and what he says, we conform to the world and its pattern of thinking so that when we look around us, it's the prettiest that gets the attention. It's the most handsome that gets the attention. It's the most successful that are the happiest. It's the celebrities that are loved. And so we think if I don't achieve this status, then I'm no good. We find our value and our worth in what we do, not who we are and who God has made us to be. And so it's a way of thinking, seeing that then begins to direct our way of life. If you look on in verse 13, Samuel's like, you did a foolish thing. Why, why didn't you trust God's word? Why didn't you trust him? Why didn't you just, just lean into him in faith and trust his promises? Why did you let the circumstances determine your action, what you saw, how you thought? Why did you let that drive you instead of trusting in God's promises that he would deliver you and even promise the people that he would deliver them through Saul? He's like, why didn't you trust this? He says, you would have established, God would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. And so our way of living that's driven by how we see and what we think ultimately determines who we become. And so Saul could really never become who God wanted him to become, who God had made him king to become. He never could become that because he could never embrace the promises of God that told him who he was. Saul's kingdom or or reign as king began in fear with the Israelites being afraid so they wanted a king. Saul began his kingdom in fear as they went to find him to make him king and they had to dig him out of the baggage that the people had so they couldn't even find him. He was hiding. His whole reign was summarized by fear in many ways where he was driven by this fear. And even when you look at his death, we're going to see in just a moment that it was it was out of fear that determined the way that he died. And so he was not characterized by faith and trusting God's promises. It was always something where he would try to become the person that he thought everybody else wanted him to be. He was consumed with what people thought about him, not consumed with his relationship with God. Therefore, he was faithless when he could have lived faithful. 
If you flip way over into chapter 31, you'll see there where they're fighting the Philistines. Saul, it says in there that he was fighting the Philistines for the rest of his life. And so he's fighting the Philistines. He's wounded in battle. And he knows the Philistines are about to get him. He tells his armor bearer just to kill him. And the armor bearer's like, I'm not killing you. You're the king. And so he ends up falling on his own sword. And I've always thought that that is one of the most tragic stories in the Bible, where this guy who had all this potential to, to do God's work in this kingdom ends up falling on his own sword. So even in this situation, he's in a place where he's afraid of what the Philistines will do to him. So he just falls on his own sword. He just kills himself. He never grasped who God had put him there to be. He never trusted in God's word. He never trusted in his promises. He never saw the way God wanted him to see through the lens of faith. He never thought the way God wanted him to think through trusting in his promises and that being the loudest voice in his life, not something else or what someone thought or what the circumstances looked like. And he never became what he was intended to become because he never trusted in those promises. When you look at this and the flip side of faithlessness would be faithfulness, right? And if you take a look at that, you begin to see that there are some very opposite characteristics of what it means to be faithful, to be full of faith. And I want us to look at this if we skip over into the New Testament now. Jesus has, has died, has been, has been resurrected. Um, the Holy Spirit has come. The Apostle Paul has been called. He's writing a letter to the Romans. And, and in Romans chapter 12, um, verses 1 and 2, we see a picture of a very different way of living. It's a very different way of living. And Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when he says, therefore, he's referring to everything that he said previously in this book of Romans that he had written to the Christians in Rome. And he's saying, basically, I laid out the gospel to you. I laid out who God is and his righteousness. I laid out the sinfulness of man to you. I told you what Jesus has done for you. And now I've told you who you've become in him and how he's working in you to transform you into who he's already made you. He's saying, I've told you this good news. And he's saying, look, in light of that, he's saying, I want you to see this. Therefore, since since God's done such great things, therefore, since God is so great and so good, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. In other words, it's a different way of seeing when we come to a place of trusting in God's promises. He gives us the promise of good news. He tells us that who Jesus is, what he's done. He tells us that it's by faith that we've been saved by receiving, not by doing. And he says, if you'll look at this, if you'll see this, it'll change the way you see everything. 
He's saying, look at what Jesus did. Look at who you were. Look at who you've become. And he's saying, change the way you see. He's saying, look, if God did this, then why are you taking your eyes off of him and putting them on this? If God did this, why are you thinking like this? If God did this, why aren't you trusting this? He's saying, God, you you can't look at the cross and not see the goodness of God. You can't look at the cross and all the promises that led up to Jesus going to that cross and not see that God is faithful to do everything that he's promised. You can't see that, 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 that the resurrection of Jesus and God having power over hell, sin, the grave, death, all of that, that it doesn't show us that he is sovereignly capable of doing everything he's promised. And when we see that God is good, when we see that God is powerful and sovereign, when we see that God is faithful to do everything that we, we, he's promised to do, we come to this place where we can trust him because we know who he is. And it leads to faithfulness, being full of faith. But in the church, we believe that our faith comes from what we do, not what we have received. Faith is not primarily about us doing something. Faith is first and foremost about what we receive. It is by faith that we receive salvation. It is by faith that we receive the Holy Spirit. It is by faith that we receive grace. And Paul told Titus, who was one of his disciples, who he was teaching to follow God, that it's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's not our effort. It's not just doubling down and say, I'm going to try harder. I heard somebody say that yesterday. I got to get some things right in my life. My answer to that is, why don't you put your eyes on the one who gives life and your life will change? It goes on and he says, in view, in this view, in this new way of seeing, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Some translations say service because those two go hand in hand. See, worship isn't a few songs we sing. Worship is the life we live. And he says, if you can get a view of what God's done, then what it's going to do is it's going to change how you live. It's going to change what you do. He's saying your life will be a life of worship, not because you're focused on the act of worship, but because you're lost in the worshiping. And here's the problem that we have. Listen, church, here's the problem that we have. When we come to Scripture, we don't typically walk away in awe of God. Typically, when we come to Scripture and we do our journaling, if we do that, and if we read the Bible, we typically will come away with something else to do. But if we will begin to read our Bible in light of four things, who is it showing me that God is? Who is God? Who is it showing me that I am? Just as those Israelites were sinful and rebellious, so are we. Who is it showing me I am? Paul says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned. That means all of us. 
That means church isn't a place for perfect people. Church is a place for worshiping people who are clinging to a perfect God. And it tells us that we've all sinned. And he says, look, if you'll come to a place where you see differently, if you'll come to a place where you see who he is, if you'll see who you are, if you'll see what God's done, and you'll see who you have now become, he's saying you won't leave going, oh my gosh, I've got something else on my plate to do. He'll leave in awe when you see what God has done. We can't stop at number two, seeing our sin, and just get frustrated or come to the conclusion, I've got to do more. We go on to number three, where we see what God did on the cross and in the resurrection and we see who he's now made us by faith not by what we've done he's made us this and the difference in who we were and the righteousness right standing perfection and who he's made us to become is such a huge gap that we begin to be in awe we begin to see his love we begin to receive what he's done we begin to receive his grace he begins to work in us not because we're doing but because we're being his child and he pours out his spirit more and more and more so that my life is a life of worship walking in love consistently not in a momentary mental ascent that I'm having contact with him in my devotional I'm having contact with him now on Sunday morning I'm having contact with him in my connect group I'm having contact with him now as I'm serving it's not a moment by moment by moment mental ascension to what I ought to be and what I ought to be doing. It's a heartfelt relationship that I carry with me consistently through life so that even when I stumble, I don't get up and run away. I get up and run too because I've seen the distance in two and four and I know his love is real and I know it's for me and I know I screw it up, but he still loves me. And even though I recognize my sinfulness, I recognize the greatness of his love and it's not my effort that's changing me. It's his grace inside me. It's the power of the Spirit inside me. It's the awe of a God who can love me. But see, we we get stuck in this system. I've told you a couple of weeks ago, it's BS. It's a broken system. And so we get into this system and we come to this place where it's all about the system. But God never intended for the church to put you into a system. He never intended for the church to stand between you and God. There is one mediator between us and God. There's one person that has made a way to come to God. His name is Jesus. Unless your name is Jesus, you lived a perfect life and you died on a cross for my sin and and then you rose from the grave defeating hell, death, and everything else that could ever come against me, then you have no right to stand between me and God. I'm not here to be your your intercessor, right? I mean, I'll pray for you. God will listen to our prayers, but you need to realize your prayers are as effective as mine. You need to realize that everybody's like, you got the red phone to God. Can you pray for me? I'm like, also got a nuclear button, right? And it's bigger than yours, right? And so I'm like, what, what, 
it's no different. Like, I'm just a part of the body. I'm not meant to be above you. I'm walking beside you. You talk to God. I don't want to program your life. You're missing the blessing. Religion kills relationship. Relationship with God gives life. Quit focusing on what you've got to do and start enjoying the God who loves you so much he made a way for you to come to him. Church, let's quit missing the point. So when we see this, it changes everything. And he says, in view of this mercy, offer your bodies. He says, this is the reasonable act of worship. And so when we see what God's done and we're in awe of what he's, he's accomplished and we see that, then the reasonable thing becomes, I want to serve him. I want to live my life for him. He's the source of my life. And when I quit seeing God as something else I've put on the plate and I see him as the plate that holds my life together, it begins to change everything. He's the source of life. What did Adam do to receive life in the garden? Nothing. He was dust and God gave him life. What did you do to come to life in Christ? Nothing. He gave you his spirit, and you went from spiritual death to spiritual life. Faith is receiving what God is willing to give. And it's by faith that we are saved. And it doesn't go from faith to works. It goes from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith, from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory, as my relationship with God is ever transforming me. And I'm not living in a program system where I just do because some guy that screams a lot told me this is what I ought to do. It's when I'm in a relationship with God so that I go to the word of God and God is speaking to my life, not how bad I suck or how bad I am, but how much he loves me and how wretched I was, but how he's changed my life through faith in Christ so that now I'm a new creation and I begin to live out of that. It's not a license to sin. It's not saying just go live how you want to. When you see and you view and you look at life differently through the lens of the gospel, it changes you when you are receiving what God is giving. He goes on and he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, he's saying, don't be in agreement with the ways of the world. Don't be in agreement with that way of thinking. But most of our life is driven by the same thinking as the way the world thinks. Most of the voices that determine our value, determine our worth, determine our actions, determine the things that we do are not the divine voice of God. It's not what we see in his word. It's typically driven by the emotions in my life so that I see this work for them. I think I'll try that. But here's the biggest lie and deception of Satan. All those people that you look at that you think they've got it all together, they're the ones that are falling apart the worst. And the people who are willing to come to God and say, God, I am broken, messed up, I, I can't do this on my own, they're the ones who are becoming whole. 
See, transparency kills hypocrisy. If we're not willing to be open and honest about our brokenness, we'll never become whole. We'll never become what God wants us to become. And so Paul tells us, don't conform to the world. Don't come into agreement about what the world says about you. You look at God's word and the loudest voice in your life is the truth of God. You don't have to do all the stuff that your friends are doing in high school. You don't have to go off crazy once you get to college. You don't have to have the the big house with the two cars to be satisfied, neglecting your family so that you can work more hours to give them what you think they want when what they really want is you. We bought into this lie. And so when we see this, when the Word of God begins to change our way of thinking and we're not conforming in agreement with what the world does and how the world sees. It begins to change us. And He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so He tells us that you're going to become by your mind being renewed. You're going to begin to see the way God sees. The Bible says that we will know the truth. This was out of Jesus' mouth, that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. That doesn't just mean he sets us free from sin. If that were it, that would be enough. But the truth sets us free when it becomes the loudest voice in our life and we become faithful because of the promises of God and we begin to trust Him and we're set free from all the garbage around us. I want you to see that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is not primarily about doing, it's about seeing, it's about thinking, it's about becoming, it's about receiving. From God, faith is not primarily a a thing that God wants us to have or that He gives us so that we do this. He gives us this relationship, this faith. He gave us Jesus, the Bible says, to reconcile all things to Himself. And if we will just accept the reconciliation, receive what God is giving and walk in his love, the transformation through understanding, reading and seeing in his word who God is, who I am, what he's done and who I've become begins to transform us as we consistently receive his love. I'm give out. I've done this twice. But guys, I'm tired of the church living in this broken religious system where if I dress up and I look right and I say the right things and I'm blessed and highly favored, bless God, then everything's going to be all right. Listen, we are broken people. It's okay to not be okay, but receive the love of God so you don't stay that way. That's all I got to say about that. I hadn't preached in two weeks, so I think I might have lost 10 pounds, and that's a good thing. They asked me if I wanted a 
a large or an extra large t-shirt. I was like, well, she was like, do you want to show off your muscles or do you want an extra large? I said, well, I don't have any muscles, so I probably ought to go with the extra large, right? And so today, guys, listen, this is all about realizing what God's done. Our faithfulness comes from being full of faith, of trusting in his promises, of his voice being the loudest, of us drawing close to him, even when our guilt and shame and emotions want to well up inside of us and tell us to go the other way. We look at Satan dead in the eye. We tell him to go to hell. We go back to the truth of God's word and we cling to that and say, I don't have to run away. I can come boldly before his throne of grace to receive mercy in my time of need so that he can transform me into his image so that I don't think the way the world thinks. And I become that new creation. And as we are compelled by love to go, not by duty and burden and because the church told me to, but like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that love compels us to be about the ministry of reconciliation. When we're full of love, we've got to give it to somebody. And so today, look, look, look. I want you to receive the love of God. I want you to put your trust in his promises. Not your past, not what you're going through, not the circumstances around you. Today, I want you to put your trust in God's promises. He never will leave us. He will never forsake us. The best is always yet to come because of what Jesus has done for us and what we've received by faith. Listen, the promises are true, but you got to know the promises if you're going to stand on them. And so today, I, I'm praying that we put our trust in his word and his truth and who he is and what he's done, who he's made us. And listen, if you've never done that, then I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm going to ask the prayer team, guys, some of y'all girls, y'all come down. Y'all be here to pray with somebody. If today you say, look, I don't have a relationship with God. I've never accepted Jesus into my life. I've, I've never come to life because the Spirit of God took me from death to life. Then when I pray, I'm going to ask you today, God's drawing you close to Him for the first time. I'm going to ask some of those prayer folks, when I pray, you come down here. And if today's the day of salvation for you, you come and you talk to them and let us help you take your next steps with God not be a part of a broken system. Maybe you need to come and spend some time in prayer. I don't know what it is for you. But if he's leading you here, you come and you pray, you yield, you trust. Let God's word be the loudest voice in your life. I want to pray and you can respond as God leads and and we'll live faithful lives. God, thank you so much for your promises that every one of them is true. God, I thank you for life and life through Jesus, that the wages of our sin is death. The best we could ever earn is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Help us to see that, God. Help us to see in light of what you've done, who we have already become, and let us live in awe of what you've done, full of your grace and love, so that 
grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and we begin to fill the earth with your glory, which is why you created us in the first place. I pray for each person here today that whatever's going on in their life, that they would cling to you, they would cling to your promises, that we would realize if we're in Christ, our circumstances can't overcome us because we've become more than conquerors in him so that the best is yet to come. Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name.